Let us pray. Our most gracious and holy Father, plant this word of yours deep within our hearts that we have heard this day. For where your word is, your Holy Spirit is. Guide us by this word. Guide us by your spirit. Lead us evermore towards yourself. Renew us and transform us that we might always walk before you and evermore walk in greater holiness because Jesus dwells with us and he is ever changing us. Enable us to know these truths and these realities that are hidden within because of the presence of the Spirit. Grant us to see them manifested in our daily lives and grant us to make you known through the work you are doing in us. That you would ultimately receive the honor and the glory and you would receive the praise that is yours as our Redeemer. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Years ago, my dad had a pen full of chickens. We used to have all kinds of other fowl, ducks and geese and guineas and turkeys and whatnot, but he had given away a lot of it and just kind of whittled everything down to just a small group of chickens that he kept pinned up and took care of and enjoyed the eggs from them. Unfortunately, a weasel discovered our chickens. And it would come in every once in a while and steal a chicken. It would kill the chicken and eat on it and then go on its way and it would take the life of the chicken. Now this happened a couple of times and my dad was trying to figure out the best way to trap this weasel. Eventually he came upon a plan. He had gotten one of those larger traps that have like the big clamps that snap up to grab the leg of an animal. He tried baiting it with something, putting it on the little tab in the middle to catch it, but the weasel was too smart. It just avoided the trap. It didn't care about the bait on the trap. And so it took another chicken. It killed another chicken that my dad had. And so, what did he do? He took that chicken and he used it as bait because he had scared the weasel. When the weasel had come in that last time and tried to take that chicken, it had to leave it behind. It didn't get a chance to have its meal. And so my dad took that chicken and put it with the trap, put it right up against the neck to the trap so that the weasel would have to walk over the trap to get to the chicken. And sure enough, that's what happened. Dad was able to catch that weasel and get rid of it and protect the rest of his chickens. You see, Dad had to figure out what could trap something, what kind of bait he could use to capture this chicken, to capture this weasel that is. And here throughout our gospel stories, we constantly hear the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, all the people who stood against Jesus trying to find the right kind of bait to trap Jesus. And here they think they finally have it. They think they finally have an opportunity to trap Jesus with an either-or question. A question that will destroy His standing before everyone. For they were angry at Him. They were frustrated. Because his previous parable that we heard last week, the parable of the wedding feast, they understood that he was speaking against them directly. That they 
were the people who refused to come to the feast. They were the people who refused to come to the wedding feast of the great king. They were the people who would ultimately be destroyed by God. And so their first thought is not, what can I do to right myself before the Father, before this King of all? No, their first thought is, this man claims to be Messiah and that we are going to be judged. We will figure out a way to cause him to be judged by earthly authorities. We will figure out a way to put him out of the picture so that we can continue doing what we do. You see, at the very end of this passage, Jesus tells us something. He tells us to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In that moment, the Pharisees, looking to betray Jesus, looking to trap Him, looking to figure out a way to overthrow His popularity and undo what He looks like before the people, they are serving Caesar. They think they are serving God. But the reality is they're furthering Caesar's plots. They're furthering Caesar's plans. They're furthering the power of Caesar over their very people. For Jesus comes to release the people from a deeper bondage that they have. The Pharisees can only see the bondage that is immediately over them, that of Caesar. And they think that they can eventually overthrow that power on their own. But they think Jesus stands in the way of that. They think they, that Jesus will bring Caesar down upon them once more, as has happened so much in the past. There was a man in Jesus' youth named Judas of Galilee. He attempted rebellion against Rome. He gathered quite a following. And his rebellion, his rejection of Rome, was this very issue that the Pharisees, disciples, and Herodians have brought to Jesus. Should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to a foreign government? Should we pay taxes not only to a foreign government, but to a Gentile power that has utterly and completely rejected the God of all creation? Should we pay taxes to that kind of people? And Judas of Galilee said, no, we shouldn't. And we should, in fact, rebel. And by rebelling, God will come and pour out His power. And He will overthrow these wicked servants of the devil. But it was for naught. Judas of Galilee, putting himself up as a kind of Messiah, was overthrown by Rome. Their armies came in and they laid waste to him and his people. Many of his people were put to death. Not only were they put to death, but they hung them on crosses along the roadways to make the point of you don't rebel against Rome. And so this was a hot topic issue. This issue of do you pay taxes or not? And so Judas... And many of his followers were put to death. However, a group of them remained. They became known as the Zealots. In fact, there was at least one guy in Jesus' twelve who was part of this political party. One of his own followers was considered a Zealot. And the Gospels name him as the Zealot. So this must have been an interesting question for him to hear Jesus answer. How is Jesus going to answer this question of rejecting Roman power? Rejecting Roman taxation. And they think that it's a trap, that they can finally trap Jesus. Because their desire is to give him this either or that he can't get out of. Because if he says, yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar, then he is in line with the rulers. He is in line with the foreign powers. He is in line with those who stand against God. If he says, yes, it is proper to pay taxes, 
to a foreign government. Thus, the people would lose their faith in him. The people would look away from him. They would see him as nothing but a liar, a hypocrite. For he has been speaking so much of the kingdom of God. However, on the other hand, if he says, no, it is not lawful, it is not appropriate, it is not right to pay taxes to Caesar, well, guess what? Then these Pharisees and these Herodians can go get the Roman government and be like, here's a rebellious man in your midst. He is telling people to not pay taxes. He is telling people to reject Roman authority. Go and arrest him and capture him and put him to death, for he is standing against your power over us. The either-or is a precipice of nothing but loss on Jesus' part. And they think they have it. They think they have the right bait, this trap of taxes. And this is an odd grouping. The disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians. We all know who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are those who have taken the law to the nth degree. They have built fences around the fences around the fences of the law in order to keep the people from sin. And thus they lift themselves up as the purest of the pure, of the most righteous of the righteous. They do not like Roman rule, but they are willing to temporarily chafe under it. They are willing to put up with Roman rule, but they are always looking for an opportunity for it to be overthrown. They hate the Romans because the Romans are pagans. They are Gentiles. They are unclean. And here they are in the midst of God's people. They are tempting God's people into further sin. Tempting God's people into continued rebellion against God. Tempting God's people to remain in unclean states and to be lax about obeying the law. To be lax in their sacrifices. To be lax in the life that God has called them to. And so the Pharisees stand against everything that the Roman Empire stands for. However, alongside these disciples of the Pharisees are the Herodians. They are a political party who support Herod's children, who support most likely even Herod and Antipas, Antipas, who ruled over Galilee, one of Herod the Great's sons. They want Herod to rule. They want the Herods to rule over the Judean region. Thus, they're pro-Roman because who put Herod and his family in charge? It was the Romans. After the Romans came in and took over everything, eventually they overthrew and put out the kings who were in charge and put in their own kings. They put in their own government. And Herod was the man that they put in charge. Herod the Great. Now, Herod wasn't absolutely terrible. He wasn't a total foreigner. He, in fact, married one of the granddaughters of the current king, one of the Hasmonean kings. He married his granddaughter. He converted to Judaism. He went through all the process to act like a Jew so that he could rule over the people of the Jews because he wanted to be a ruler. So he did whatever it took to have power. And these Herodians were willing to back him, to back his children, to follow after him. And so here we are, these two opposing factions, the Herodians on one hand, the Pharisees and their disciples on the other, trying to trick Jesus, trying to come up with a trap, trying to put out the right kind of bait to capture Jesus. They want to make a mockery of Jesus in one way or another, whether against the people, a mockery before all the people, or a mockery in front of Rome that He might be arrested and dealt with. 
truly bringing together this idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That both of them see Jesus as an enemy and so therefore they become friends to work against Jesus. Here they are working to overthrow Jesus in His highest popularity moment. He has just come into the kingdom. He has just come into Jerusalem. And He is ready and able to lead the people. He could lead the people. And they are scared of that. Because this is the week of Jesus' death upon the cross. It is post-Palm Sunday, post the people crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. And they are trying to find that way to get rid of Jesus. And so what do they do? They come together. And they walk along and they come up to Jesus. And I love how they approach Him with so much flattery. There in verse 16, they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God. You do not care about anyone's opinion. You are not swayed by appearances. These disciples of the Pharisees who have constantly been trying to trick and overthrow Jesus, who have been trying to figure out ways to undo Jesus' ministry, here they are claiming that they believe He is true. Claiming that they believe He teaches the way of God truthfully. That He doesn't care about people's opinions. That He's not swayed by appearances. Ironically, all of those statements are true. However, they're coming from the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians. These people who have rejected Jesus' authority. People who have rejected Jesus for who He claims to be. But they think flattery will please Jesus. They think flattery will trip Him up here in this moment, that flattery will get Him to let down His guard against these who stand against Him. So then they put forward their trap. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, all that flattery is setting Jesus up because they know that Jesus is willing to answer any question that comes to Him. Jesus is willing to talk. Jesus is willing to respond to what people are wondering. When they put questions before Him, He always answers. And so they put to him before Him this hot topic, this hot political button question that could destroy everything that He is doing. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It had been going on for at least a generation, this question. And they put it to Jesus. However, Jesus isn't buying it. He doesn't buy their words. He doesn't believe their words are true coming from them. He doesn't treat them as truthful statements that they believe because He is aware of their malice, it says. There in verse 18, Jesus aware of their malice. He knows their hatred. He knows how they despise Him. He knows how they do not care for Him. And so He says, Why do you put Me to the test, you hypocrites? You people who put on masks and pretend to be that which you are not. You people who act as though you believe in Me. Who act as though you care about Me. Who act as though you listen to My words but do the exact opposite continually. That is what makes them hypocrites. It is the fact that they put forth one way of being and do the opposite. They say, we know that you are true and teach the way of God. Whereas when they're not around Jesus, they are rejecting Him in every way. Only when they stand before Him and are trying to flatter Him do they confess these truthful statements about Jesus. But when they are away from Him, in their own crowds, with their own people, they say the opposite. They speak of how He is false and how He does not teach the way of God faithfully. That He is not a truthful man. That He is a liar about who God is. 
So he sees them as hypocrites, those who act in one way before people and act in another way with other people. Hypocrite is simply that, one who says they are going to do one thing and they do the opposite and act as though they have done nothing wrong. That is what hypocrites do. A hypocrite is not someone who stumbles and falls and admits their fault. We who are sinners know we are sinners and when we fall, we confess that sin. That makes us not hypocrites because we are owning that which we do wrong. The hypocrite doesn't own what he does wrong. The hypocrite never sees his sin. He never sees his falsehood. And Jesus calls them out. Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me a coin for the tax. And lo and behold, they have a coin for the tax. They whip out this coin and hand it to Jesus. And he looks at it. And he asks whose likeness and inscription is upon this coin. You see, this coin was a Roman coin. Therefore, it had Tiberius Caesar's face stamped on it. And along that, with that, most likely, it had the inscription of Tiberius Caesar, divine son of Augustus, Pontus Maximus, Pontus Maximus, the highest of high priests. Here they are carrying a coin with the image of a man claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be of divine origin, claiming to have divine power. These Jews who do not care about Herod, who do not care about Rome, these Pharisees had a coin on them for the tax. And so he asked, whose likeness and inscription is this? Well, it's Caesar's, they say, for it has his face on it, it has his inscription. It is a little idol that we carry around with us representing power and authority of Rome over us. And so what are they to do? What is Jesus to do? How is he to respond to this as they sit here and hand him a coin that is almost like a little idol that they carry with them, representing all their sinfulness? For when do foreign powers rule over God's people? Foreign powers have ruled over God's people when they turned from God, when they rejected His authority over them, when they rejected His law. And so here, in an ironic way, they carry the representation of their sin in their hand and in their pockets, in their coin port purses. For Rome rules over Judah because God's people have rejected God. They have not fully returned to Him. They have not had their hearts rent with sadness and remorse and repentance over their sin. And so now they must carry a coin with them to pay a tax that bears the image of a man who claims to be divine. And so they rightfully admit, well, it has Caesar's impression on it. It has Caesar's face and his inscription on it. So here Jesus springs the trap on them. They think they have caught him with an either-or question and he gives them a both-and answer. Well, if it has Caesar's face on it, then give it to him. Render to Caesar that which belongs to him. And so he avoids one side of the debacle. But that opens him up for attack from the other side. And so he says, and to God, the things that belong to God. You see, this coin has Caesar's face on it. Therefore, it came from Caesar. And if Caesar demands it back, he has absolute rights to demand something back that is his to begin with. For it bears his image. So let him have it. It is not wrong to give back to a man who has given you money. It is not wrong to pay him taxes regardless of what he decides to do with those taxes. His face is on the money. Thus, ultimately, the money belongs to him. Let him have it back. However, 
in giving Him that which belongs to Him, render to God that which belongs to Him. Which then, of course, confronts us with a very important question now. Whose image do we bear this day? As I said a little while ago and earlier, it is easy for us to render to Caesar that which belongs to God. For we become convinced that we bear the image of mere men. We become convinced in our activities and our behaviors that we bear the image of this world. However, by way of creation alone, all humanity bears the image of God. For all of humanity through Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. All of humanity bears the likeness of God in some unique way. Even despite the fall, all of humanity bears this image. It is marred, it is broken, it is scarred. It is poorly seen in so many ways, for it is hidden away. Aspects of it have been lost, for the image would include that original righteousness of Adam and Eve that we no longer have. But the image persists in each and every one of us that we bear the image of God. And because we bear the image of God, thus in all of our hearts is inscribed the natural law, is inscribed the law of God in some unique way. In some special way it is born in each of us. For each of us has a conscience. Again, marred and scarred. Darkened because of sin in us. Because we are still sinners. Nonetheless, that law pervades. It persists within as a guiding light in some ways. Convicting us most of the time. Though occasionally excusing our behaviors. So, by way of creation, we as human beings, are marked with the image of God and inscribed with His law in our hearts. But even more so as we are Christians, those of us who are baptized and have come to faith and walked this path, we belong to God in a new way. We belong to God through Jesus Christ Himself, for He is the true image bearer of God now. For as Adam and Eve fell and have now given to us a marred and broken image that we bear, Jesus was born of a sinful woman, though He was born without sin through the conception that God caused through the Holy Spirit. He was born perfect in the incarnation, the Son of God taking on human flesh and thus bearing the perfect image of God in humanity, unmarred, unbroken, unfallen, bearing it through this fallen world, walking the path that God placed for Him to walk upon. He perfectly bears the image of God and He is marked with the truth of God's inscriptions upon him, for he bears the word of God within him, for he is God himself. The law of God is perfectly written within him. And alongside that perfect law being written upon him and in him, he is marked with circumcision that he is one of God's people, a Jew, through the covenant with Moses. But even more so, on top of that, He has been baptized on our behalf to receive the Holy Spirit for us that He could then pour out the Spirit to us, thus fully being the image bearer of God, the one who bears all good things, who perfectly fulfills the demands of the law, and thus brings about the beginning of the promises of God's redemption, pouring that redemption out through the Holy Spirit that He gives that He walks with, that He bears for us to give out to us. And so, yes, Caesar is to be given what belongs to Caesar, but that which belongs to God must be given to God as well. And we as broken human creatures are incapable of fully rendering to God that which belongs to Him, for God demands our whole being. 
As we heard at the beginning of our service, the words of Jesus, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. That is God's greatest commandment for us, that we are to turn to look to God and fully commit ourselves to Him. And that law should bear down and weigh us down, recognizing, causing us to recognize that I do not do that. I am incapable of that very thing. It seems so simple to just simply love God, to do what He says, and yet I fail in it day in and day out, moment by moment. My mind wanders, and sin finds a grip to take hold and leads me into sin more and more. And thus I am left in that struggle, called to render to God that which is God's, but incapable of truly rendering it to Him, and thus remaining in sin for being... For I am unable to obey that commandment to render to God that which belongs to Him. But Jesus steps into that breach as the one who perfectly renders to God that which is to be rendered. He is the one who renders unto God everything of who He is, even to the point of death that He might deal with sin itself. He deals with death on our behalf, that which is the punishment of sin, that which is our shame that we bear day in and day out to know that we will die. Our lives will come to an end. Our bodies will wear out. And that is because of sin in us. Sin in the world that exists. But Jesus came into this world to render unto God that which belongs to God. The whole being of man presented to God. In a perfect, glorious sacrifice upon the cross for us. And because Jesus renders that which truly belongs to God. We then can begin to render that which belongs to God ourselves for we in baptism are marked with the cross of Christ in baptism the water is poured upon us for our forgiveness that we would believe that God forgives us through Jesus Christ and thus we are set aside with the renewed image of God placed upon us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in union with Christ through baptism and in faith we lay hold of that truth in faith and trust in what God has said we lay hold of that reality that we have been given the image of God in Jesus Christ. And we are marked with an invisible mark upon our foreheads. God's promises are inscribed upon us that through the cross we become children of God. We become the adopted heirs of the kingdom. That we stand alongside Jesus to receive all of the good and glorious promises of renewal and new creation for all. Because Jesus rendered to God that which belongs to God. And we get caught up in that rendering. We get caught up in that work of Jesus as we are baptized and come to faith. As we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, Christ is placed in us more and more and we are renewed in order that we would walk that path of rendering to God that which is His. Our whole being. Our whole selves. And we walk that hard path. We walk that tricky path. We walk that impossible path only because Jesus rendered to God that which belongs to God for us. For He tells us that we are called to do that, but He fulfills it for us. That it would be applied to us, that it would be applied in such a way that we are transformed into His new people. That we are transformed into the kind of people who will obey and to the kind of people who will begin to render that which belongs to God. But it's never out of our strength. It is out of the reality that Jesus rendered to God that which belongs to God. He does it on our behalf that we might be saved. 
He does it on our behalf that we would be redeemed. He does it on our behalf that we would walk that same path with Him. United and bound up with Him in His work. That His work becomes our work. His rendering becomes our rendering as a gift and as the grace of our Father gifted to us through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.